22. Last week we had the joy of starting a new sermon series entitled Atonement or At-One-Ment. And tonight's going to be the second, second part of that series that we started building up all the way to Easter. And we're going to spend time in this chapter of the Bible this evening. I've entitled the message for tonight, Stretch, one word, Stretch. And my wife, Am, is going to read the scriptures for us. Thanks, Am. Genesis chapter 22, the sacrifice of Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemul the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jillap, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Let's uh, pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity we have this evening to hear from you, Lord. 
Thank you that we can find you in the pages of Scripture, Lord, your presence, your power, your authority. As your word is preached and spoken, Lord, and shared, we hear from God and we are grateful. Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts this evening as our congregation is divided. Lord, I pray that we would know um, the presence of God in special measure. And Lord, that this would unify us in time of trial. Lord, for those that are struggling with sickness and those that are uh, concerned and worried, Lord, I pray that the word would come as a, as a balm, as a source of peace to their lives. And Father, I pray that they would, uh, after this time spent um, in your word, they would be um, built up in their faith and trust of you. Lord, help us to find Jesus in this passage, I pray. And as we do, may our hearts be lifted in praise and worship. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Theological definition for the word atonement is the work of Christ that he did in life and death to earn our salvation. A longer definition would read something like this. Christ, in his death on the cross, completely satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment of sin and fully bore the wrath of God against that sin. There was no need for Christ to suffer further and after his death, therefore, God would raise him from the dead. That definition given by Wayne Grudem. Now, this is the scene of Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, the father of multitudes, began his faith journey at the age of 75, and now is over 100 years old, still being stretched by his circumstances under the hand of God. The question that must be asked of those that read this passage and those that listen to it would be this, are you continually being stretched by God? And I think the answer today would be a big resounding yes because of what we're experiencing with um, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. All of us are being stretched. The question is what must we do in these times of stretching? When we're having a rough go in life, what must we, what must we do? And the answer is given as an overarching theme, a main lesson of this chapter and that is to be obedient in faith. And when we are obedient, this obedient faith overcomes the trials of life. The main theme, obedient faith overcomes the trials of life, is this quick answer to the question of what we must do in times of trial. So let's walk through it together. First little point that I have for today. God's procedures stretch. Let's learn from a text theologically and allow this to impact our lives in our circumstance. God's procedures do stretch. We are allowed so much privilege as readers of the Bible to know more than the characters of the Bible. And here, Abraham is one that does not know all the details of what's going on behind the scenes, but in verse one, we are told as the reader that God tested Abraham. God tells us what he's doing to Abraham even while he did not know what was going on in his own life. God was stretching Abraham and I want to say this, God is still stretching us as well. Notice a couple of things about this scene and about this event. Notice firstly the kind of person that God tests, the kind of person that God is testing in Genesis 22. Firstly, it's somebody who God knew. There was a relationship here. God comes to Abraham and calls him by name, and the response is relational in the conversation that ensues from there. Abraham, here I am. This knowing of God does not get us off the hook. Some people think just by knowing God, you're not going to face any trials anymore. 
But right in the text is a blatant example of somebody that knew God intimately yet was somebody involved in the testing of God in stretching. Secondly, notice it was somebody who had been tested before. Some people believe that we've been tested before, it's all done now, done and dusted. But here is an example in Scripture of somebody tested a lot before and yet in a place where they need further testing. As far as Abraham uh, goes, he had passed the test, the leaving your country knowing, not knowing where I'm going test, the famine test, the injustice with the whole scene of Lot test, the tithe test, the patience test, the captured wife test, the Hagar test, the battle test, the circumcision test, the estranged son Ishmael test. He had passed with flying colors many tests before, but thirdly, this was somebody who needed further testing. This is the kind of person that God is testing, somebody who knew the Lord, somebody who had been tested before, but somebody who needed further testing, even in his old age, 100 plus years old. Now, by far, the toughest of all tests he would face, the offer your only son test was about to come across Abraham's path. Now, why was it necessary? Why was it necessary for him to face this kind of testing? And why is it necessary for any of us to face this kind of stretch test? The answer in a quick phrase would be simply for our benefit and for the glory of God. And we would say amen quickly. I'm going to come back to it right at the end of this message. But for right now, let's just establish the end that God is going for here in his testing, the benefit of his children and the glory of his name. This is the kind of test, the kind of person that God tests. Secondly, notice something else. Notice the kind of test that God uses in testing us. Firstly, it is um, the harder than you can imagine kind of test. You know, when I read the, the text carefully, I noticed the verbiage that's used to describe the actions of the passage. And these are three verbs that are found, three commands, in fact, found in the passage. Take, go, and offer. Take, go, and offer. And I, as a father, had to think about this in light of my own sons, and um, I must say, those three verbs impacted my heart deeply. Just the consideration, the imagination of taking one's son and going to offer him as a sacrifice is an extreme ask, an extreme ask. Now, I started to wonder, how did Abraham even begin to swallow this request, this command? Uh, well, when we look at history, we find that, you know, Abraham lived before the law, and so it's possible that his worldview would have included human sacrifice. When you study Ur and um, Canaanite culture and how they performed human sacrifice, it really is age-restricted, stomach-turning kind of stuff. But Isaac, you know, the name meaning um, one laughs or he laughs, when we consider the name of the son, this is nothing like a, a laughable matter at all. When you think of Abraham in the situation, what was asked of him goes against his natural affection. It goes against his better judgment. Um, the request, the command goes against his common sense. It goes against his theological hope. But it was necessary for the test of his faith. Growth in faith involves testing. This is the point. Growth in faith involves testing, and I want to label that kind of testing as a stretch test in light of what is going on here. This may come, in light of what I've explained already, this may come after much progress already spiritually. This kind of test might come after great successes, often does, after much blessing in life. 
It may come after many, many years of knowing God, but it still comes. And this is the cycle of the way God works. God speaks, we hear, we then trust and obey what He has said. We act in belief because God always acts um, doing what is right and what is best. We know that. God tests and we grow, and the cycle begins again. God tests and we grow, and we find this in Scripture over and over again. Somebody once said, there are always valleys next to the hills of our faith, and I like that quote. I'm not too sure who said it, but there it is. There there are always valleys next to the hills of our faith, and I want to just add to that idea to say that over time, I've noticed in my life and many lives of believers that are older than myself, I've noticed that these hills soon become mountains of faith. But what's beautiful to watch is how Christians through those valleys of affliction have been stretched now to be able to summit those big mountains of faith in life. So notice with me God's procedures and how they stretch. Secondly, notice God's promises and how they sustain. This is fact. God's promises sustain. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I don't know about you, if I had been given the command to go and take my son and offer him as a sacrifice, I'm not going to be that quick to get out of bed in the morning, but it seems as if he's quick to obedience here in verse 3. I started to look for verse 2 and a half in the passage, you know, to try and find something in there, like the reaction I would have given, like, what? Do you really expect that, Lord? Sorry, I missed what you said, or you've got to be kidding. I just can't do that. There's just no way, God. There's none of that kind of reaction in the passage, all we find is Abraham's exceptional demonstration of really, really strong faith as he rises early in the morning to respond to what God has said. Could it be that perhaps Abraham's faith had been strengthened by all of those previous stretch tests in his life? And the answer, no doubt, is a yes to that. You see, faith defined would be this, an enabled ability to cling to God when you have no answers. I want to just read that again. An enabled ability to cling to God when you don't have any answers. And around the world today, there are so many people that have no answers to what is going on. Look at Abraham's faith again, just to kind of lift up the idea or, or wrap it, or surround it again. The idea of Abraham's faith in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And I'm sure his heart sank to some point. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, but notice what he says very carefully. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Verse 5. Abraham here labels a very painful, difficult experience as worship. Surely that alone would teach us um, and, and and show us an example of extreme, magnificent faith. And then Abraham's faith Secondly, believes that God will raise Isaac to life again because he says, we will go over there and we will come back again. There's an expression of his faith that obviously God's going to raise my son to life after the sacrifice um, again. Now, how do I know that for sure, you might ask? Well, Hebrews 11 is the place to go. Bible scholars will quickly run there to find Abraham's name in the famous chapter of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, read like this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, again, the explanation given to us, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, this is my point, God's promises sustain, he had received promises, 
was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able, this is Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Here's the insight given to what's going on in Genesis 22 by the author of Hebrews, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here the Bible explains very carefully that what was going on here was a faith expression in God that God would raise his son from the dead. What enabled Abraham to do this is my big question. What on earth enabled Abraham to respond so strongly in faith, to follow through, to express his belief so confidently, to obey so promptly? What is the answer? And really, the answer is found in the Scriptures, in both Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 22, and that is God's Word. God's Word, God's promises. I mean, what kept Noah building a boat for 100 years? It was God's Word. God had said, a flood's coming. And I bet Noah woke up every morning to say, to ask that question, why am I doing this on top of a mountain? Because God had said, the flood is coming. And the same answer can be given to what kept Abraham going to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son. The answer is God's word. That he would be made the father of multitudes. God had said it. God had said it in numerous places. He had said it in Ur. He had said it in his first visit to Canaan. He said it when Lot took over the best of the land. He took it when Abraham was doing some stargazing with God. From the flaming presence of God came the words that God, that, 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 Abraham would be the father of nations. When he and Sarah received new names, when Isaac was born, all of these occasions were occasions when God had spoken and God had said. God always keeps his word. Every single time, God keeps his word. So, church, in crushing times like we are facing, be sustained by God's promises. God's procedures stretch us. We must understand this. God's promises sustain us. Let's look at number three. God's provisions satisfy. God's provisions satisfy. Verses 8 and 14. They stand alongside of each other's verses that speak about the providences of God, the provisions of God. Verse 8 says, when Abraham responds to his son's question, who's going to provide a sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So both of them went on together. Abraham here vocalizes his trust, an absolute trust, but additional or added to this vocalized trust is an allowance for God to be God, which I love. The same kind of example is found in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that famous event in Scripture where, you know, God can rescue us, the three said. God can definitely do it, absolute, confident faith. But even if he does not rescue us, God can still be God, even if he does not rescue us, we will still not bow to a God made by man. We need to learn, I believe today, to leave it in God's hands, to leave our circumstance in God's hands, to leave this pandemic in God's hands. He is the only one that can open ways where there is no way. He is the only one that can make a way. John Calvin said, in affairs of perplexity, we pay God the highest honor to acquiesce to his providence. Staunch old language, but this is what it means. When we are confused and when we are baffled with life, 
We pay God the highest honor when we yield to His providences, when we yield to His provisions. Abraham trusted God implicitly, but he would never have imagined the way God would have come through in His providences for him. Never in a million years would Abraham have guessed what God was about to do to provide for him. What did God do? Well, He provided a substitute. We are exposed for the first time in the narrative here to substitutionary atonement, the foreshadowing of this glorious doctrine of Jesus in my place, as God provides a ram in Isaac's place. Oh, what a relief. I mean, as as a dad, I was thinking of this, you know, as the knife is about to fall, you can imagine the picture, as the knife is about to fall from heaven, there's those words, Abraham, Abraham, whoa, 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 stop, stop, don't harm him, don't touch him. Absolute relief must have flooded through his veins. I remember doing a, a little drama skit on a mission trip once where we had a, a whole bunch of children that had come together for a skit. And uh, I just want to tell you, don't ever ask me to act in a drama. They asked me to be Abraham on this occasion, and there was an Isaac, and there was obviously a donkey and a few other people in the skit. But I tell you what, I had to be Abraham. And on that moment, when I lifted up that knife, I mean, the kids were screaming. This is horrific for them. And I just was aware very keenly of the gravity of this passage and the relief that must have come to Abraham acting his part in the skit. The relief that must have come to him when the voice came and said, stop doing what you're doing. Don't harm the boy. But added to this relief, there's always also joy. Oh, the joy of God's provision, the relief of God's provision and the joy of God's provision. The life of the provided ram for my son's life. The life of the provided Jesus for my life. Oh, what a joy. Oh, what a relief. Folks, God's provision always satisfies like this. God's provision always satisfies. Verse 14 comes alongside of verse 8 to say this, The Lord will provide, and on that day that mount of the Lord was named, the Lord shall provide. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. In the Hebrew it means this, the Lord will see to it that it gets done. The Lord will see to it that there's provision given. The tester, the one doing the stretching, is now the provider. We believe and God provides. Let's look at one more point from this passage. Number four, God's plans succeed. For two ends, and I promised in the beginning of the sermon that we would come back to this, our good and God's glory, these two mega themes in the Bible and theology. Our good, verses 15 to 24, are the after the test image. What's going on in the storyline after the testing of Abraham? Well, we learn very quickly that God never wastes suffering. I mean, the headlines have been jam-packed with global suffering at the moment. Like I've never seen in my life, to be quite honest. God never wastes suffering, is what we cling to. Immediately following atonement, there was this massive blessing, covenant made with Abraham, and Abraham emerges out of the test with absolute assurance. He would be the father of nations. And we sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. We're moving our arms and our legs. This is the picture we have of Father Abraham because of the covenant that was made on this occasion. 
Verses 20 through 24 lists all the sons of Abraham's brother. Get, get this? Because you know, at the end of the chapter, we like to just kind of skip that part in our quiet time because of all those heavy names to pronounce. But all the sons of Abraham's brother, 12 of them are listed there, and we think, where's Abraham in the mix? How's he going to become a dad competing with this? With one boy? Well, he has one son, and that's all that matters under God's promise. And through the son, the offspring of Abraham would be multiplied like the sand on the seashore. What's beautiful is that the wife of, of Isaac is, is mentioned in these verses. One daughter, Rebecca, mentioned among the 12 sons who had become Isaac's bride. And assurance is just dripping out of these verses. Now accomplished in the heart of Abraham through the stretched tests. A verse that came to mind immediately thinking about God's plan succeeding for our good is obviously Romans 8.28. And I've had so many people over the phone and um, you know, just in, in, in correspondence share this verse with me during this time of suffering. Romans 8.28, we know and we should know, just like Abraham assured of these things, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For we know with assurance that God is working for our good. We know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, God is working all things together for good. Along with our good, there's always God's glory. The two are wrapped up in each other. And I'd like to end this message today by meditating through this chapter with you. Allow your, your mind and your heart just to be wrapped up in what's going on in the moment of this event. God's plan was ultimately for something much bigger than Isaac. All of this points to Jesus. And I want to do the best I can to highlight Jesus in Genesis 22. You see, Isaac had a miraculous birth, his parents being way past the age of childbearing. Jesus, too, had a miraculous virgin birth. Isaac was Abraham's only son, Jesus was God's only son. Abraham and Isaac ascended Mount Moriah together. This was tender, mutual affection. God and God the Father and the Son would climb Mount Calvary together. This was triune, mutual affection. The victim and the offerer of the sacrifice ascending, willing together. Reminded me of John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go up from here. Isaac carried the burden of wood on his shoulders, according to the Bible, five times it's mentioned in Genesis 22. As Jesus would one day carry his own cross on his shoulders and more than just the burden of the wood, but the burden of the sin of humanity upon his shoulders. John 19, 17. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Isaac trusted his father, it's obvious, trusted his father. Hey father, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Just as Jesus trusted his father too, Isaiah 53 verse 7 describing him as a lamb led to the slaughter, silent before his shearers. So Jesus' mouth was not opened either. Abraham did not spare his son. 
Romans 8 verse 32 speaks in the same language of Jesus. He who did not spare his son, God who did not spare his son, his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isaac had to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21, similar sentiment. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaac was raised figuratively to life, Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus was raised factually to life. God provided a ram, God provided a lamb. The ram was caught by a thicket by its horns. Jesus too would wear a crown of thorns on his head. Substitution is, is pouring out of this passage, Genesis 22. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of substitution, instead of his son. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Substitution, for it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. The burnt offering of the ram symbolized Somebody's life being given completely over to the Lord. Here is all my heart on the altar. Consume my life for your glory. It was the whole image given by the burnt offering, burnt up entirely. Abraham became a new living sacrifice. He was to be the sacrifice, now redeemed from that place by a substitute. He could now become a living sacrifice. As it is said of us, Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The fire consumed all the wood, as God's judgment will consume all sin one day. And really, this is beautiful, something you have to dig for in the scriptures, but there's no mention of Isaac when he returns to to the servants. Abraham came to the servants, and we, we take it for granted that Isaac uh, would have done the same, but there's no mention of his name coming there to, back to the servants after this whole event. The next mention of Isaac's name in the Bible is Genesis 24, verse 62, when he returns for his bride, Rebekah. Similarly, the next time we see Jesus is when he will return for his bride too. It all points to Jesus. So folks, in, in light of what is happening globally and in our own village and neighborhood right now, let's be encouraged by these four truths. God's procedures stretch. It's the only way to bigger faith. God's promises sustain, so we are to be about clinging to the promises of God, not clinging to explanation but clinging to promise. God's providence always satisfies, and God has provided, amen? He has provided all that we need in Jesus for absolute redemption and salvation. And then lastly, God's plans succeed, ultimately for our good and for God's glory. Amen. God bless you.